Yeah? Okay, I hear myself now. Yes, I was here two years ago in December, uh, two years ago, 2010. Uh, that was when my first grandchild was born. My son lived here, he works here, and he had uh, his first child in 2010. Then earlier this month, he had the second child. That's why we are back. <laughs> but I come back here as often as I can. Minister in the churches, get to get to, um, catch up with some good friends like Pastor Mike, and uh, have, some, have some fellowship here. How many of you remember the last time I was here in 2010, December? At least a few people remember me. I'm very comforted by that, <laughs> very encouraged by that. Well, I have, uh, as uh, Pastor Karen says, two books which uh, was released. Uh, this one was released in March of last year, and this was just released last month. What are these books about? First of all, Transforming into Christ-likeness is about worldview change as a Christian. When we come into the kingdom, we have a worldview that is very, very different from that of Christianity. For example, in the world you try to climb as much as possible up the corporate ladder or social ladder, okay, to be great. But what did Jesus say about greatness? It's the direct opposite. The least shall be the greatest of all. And in the, king, uh, in the world, people say, grab as much as you can. But in the kingdom, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So, the worldview is completely different. In the world, we are told to rely on ourselves. Correct? In the kingdom of God, God has created us to depend on Him. In the world, we see things only from the temporal angle. Here, the life here and now. But in Christianity, we know it's far more important to see things from the eternal perspective. But to change our worldview is very, very difficult. Okay? I wish that God would just zap us the very moment we enter into the kingdom and we get completely changed. But change is difficult. And I've done some research on how we can change our worldview. And this book is about it. Right? Now the second book is, what has God, what is God's original intent? It's entitled, Returning to God's Original Intent. So the question is, what is God's original intent for every single one of us? What is God's original intent for the church? Unless we give or live according to God's original intent, we won't succeed very much in life ourselves. Neither will the church succeed. This this book was revealed to you what is God's original intent and how we can return to it. Right? This book is based on the book of James. This book is based on the book of Ephesians. I go through thoroughly the two books. And uh, there are questions at the end of every uh, every chapter that you can reflect on or you can use the two books for cell group discussions. Okay? How much are the books? Well, since you all are very good friends, I'm a good friend of... uh, 
Pastor Mike. I'll make it available to you for $15 each. But a special promotion price. Two books, the two titles, at $26. Okay? Is that a good deal? <laughs> right. How many of you want joy and peace? I think the rest of you don't want joy and peace. I don't believe it. I think every one of us want joy and peace. Am I right? You, I, every one of us. In fact, in the world, they want joy and peace so much so that they are prepared to pay megabucks for it. They buy books, they attend seminars, just to find out what are the secrets of, for joy and peace. But friends, as Christians, joy and peace are already ours. The very moment you accept Jesus into your life, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, reconciles you back to God. Yeah. And you have peace with God. And you have peace with each other. And because of the factor of peace, you can have eternal joy. It is yours. You don't have to do anything about it. Jesus has gone up to the cross and died for your sins, and He has restored you and reconciled you back to God and to each other. It is ours, ours for the keeping. It is grace. We just sang it. Amazing grace. But the question is, many Christians do not experience complete joy and peace. Am I right? It is yours for the taking. But many of us do not experience it. And there are certain factors why we are not experiencing the joy and peace that has already been given to us by God. And one of the factor, one of the factors rather, is the purpose of life. Have we ever asked ourselves why am I here on this earth? What is the purpose for my existence? What is the purpose for my life? Unless that question is settled in your heart, I can tell you the devil has really robbed you of your joy and peace. God has given to you, but the devil has really stolen it away from you because you have not directly asked, answered a question what is the purpose of my life? And many people who do not answer that question for themselves find themselves floating from one day to the next aimlessly, having no meaning of life. Any difficulty that comes their way, they fall under it, they succumb to it, they get into depression, primarily because that question has not been answered. Well, I can tell you, for every one of us, the purpose for life is not in our hands. It is not for us to make the decision. What is the purpose for my life? God is the creator. We are the created. Correct? Right? And the creator always has the purpose for his creation. A painter knows exactly what he wants for his painting. 
A builder knows what type of building he wants to build. Apple Corporation knows what we need. And then they design the product to lure us to buy it. They know. They are the ones that determine the purpose. Now, God being the creator has a purpose for us. Right? He has a purpose for us. It is not for us to decide what is our purpose. If we own a saloon car, right? What is a saloon car for? Transporting you from one place to the other, maybe you and your family. Am I right? It was not created for racing. You don't use it as a Formula One car. What happens if you decide to use that car as a Formula One car? You're just going to wreck it, you're going to destroy it. Am I right? Since God is the one who has decided our purpose for life, if we choose another purpose, then I can tell you we are wrecking our own lives. It is not for us to decide. And that is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, found out. Paul was filled with zeal. Before he came to Christ, he was filled with such fervency that he persecuted Christians all the way from Jerusalem to Damascus. You think Paul ever had joy and peace in his heart because of that? I doubt it. Chasing of the Christians, seeing them stoned to death. If you see one person being stoned to death, or you take the life of one person, I can tell you, your conscience is going to prick you. But for Paul, you're so fervent in doing that. And we know it because, you know the prison executioners, the ones who pull the rope, the guy goes down on the rope, the one who turns on the poisonous gas pipe, the ones who switch on the electrical charge on the, pre- uh, on the ones who have been sentenced to death, all of them, practically all of them, are drunkards. You can't take it. You say it's a judge who sentenced a person to death. Yes, a judge did it. But I can tell you it's all, almost like paperwork. He's not the one who took the life. But the prison as the executioner is the one who took the life. And they can't stand it. But I don't know why they took the job. <laughs> but for Paul, he had such fervency, but his fervency was on the wrong purpose. And he never had joy and peace until he came to Christ and discovered what the purpose for life is. Then he began to experience the joy and peace. And he can begin to write about it. What is God's purpose for us then? What is the purpose for our lives? If we read through all the writings of Paul, you want to get to know somebody, you just read what he has written. Okay? For Paul, two teams stand out. Right? And I can tell you that these two teams run right from Genesis right up to Revelation. It's the two major teams of the Bible. What is a team? The first team is 
The purpose for the church is the church be a community. To reflect the oneness of God. Before God created the human race, He says, let us create mankind in our image. Correct? God is three persons, but He's completely united together as one God. Right? There's diversity, but yet there's unity. In human, the human race was created diverse in nature. But because of sin, all form of relationship was destroyed. Relationship with self, the relationship with others, relationship with God. It was all completely destroyed. And we find that there's no such thing as unity within the world right now. Those people in the world. Family members are just fighting against each other, are they not? Yeah? Families against families. Nation against nation. Tribal groups against tribal groups. There will be, never be unity. But for us as Christians, Jesus has done it on the cross. Through his death, he's brought us into the kingdom. And the one thing that binds every single one of us together is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in me, he's in you. Is it two different Holy Spirits? It's the same Holy Spirit, right? And if all of us basically obey and follow the prompting of this Holy Spirit, just allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, can we be united? Yes. I feel that I'm at home here because wherever I go in uh, whatever church, whichever country, I feel very at home because I know I'm in the midst of brothers and sisters. The same Holy Spirit that is in you is in me. And if we all basically follow the same Holy Spirit, there can be unity. Okay? That's the first purpose of God. That we be members of the community. Loving each other, supporting each other. We come in to love and be loved. To encourage and be encouraged. To give and to receive. There's reciprocity. And therefore, it can be a very beautiful community. That's the first purpose of God for us. And for the purpose for ourselves is to live in that complete unity. Loving each other. The second focus is the missional trust. Of God. God doesn't desire that any should perish. Okay? He desires that people be brought in from his from the world into his church and become part of the integral community of God. So there are two focus for us. Be a member of the united community of God, and secondly, bring others into that community. And we have to keep the balance in our lives. Sometimes we enjoy fellowship so much, we forget about the evangelism angle. Sometimes we chase after numbers in the church so much, we forget about fellowship. Correct? I see the champion legs. You all should have great fellowship here. I see the layout of the rooms, the great fellowship area out there. Therefore, there should be fellowship. 
But what about the evangelism angle? We have been created to live God's purpose. And the Apostle Paul, writing in all his epistles, focused on these two dimensions. And because of that, Paul can be contented in all situations. Let me share with you from Philippians chapter 4. Turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 onwards. And I'm reading from the NIV. You should have a good translation of the Bible. NIV is a good translation, but if you have the HIV, I think you have a problem. HIV means highly incorrect version. <laughs> NIV is the never incorrect version. Okay? So have a good translation. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 onwards, Paul wrote, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed you are concerned, but you had no, no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it is good of you to share your, uh, in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me eight more than uh, once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and more than enough. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, in the first part from chapter 10, uh, verse, 9, uh, verse 10 onwards, you find Paul telling the Philippians, I'm thanking you. At this time when he's writing the book of Philippians, he was in prison. And the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to send Paul a gift. And Paul would say, thank you very much. But he says, it's not that I want the gift or anything, because I've lived to be contented in all situations. Whether I have nothing or have plenty, I've lived to be contented. Because I know what's the purpose of my life. The purpose of my life is to create communities that will be united and that will worship God. And I've done that job. Yes, I've gone into difficulties. But know this one thing. I trust God completely. That's what Paul is saying. 
I trust God completely. And therefore, I have no fear. I'm not anxious about whether I, God will supply my needs or not. I know He will. Paul is confident that God will see to his needs. Now, friends, our focus should be on things eternal, not on things temporal. Because if you want joy and peace, if you concentrate on things temporal, I can tell you it's not going to bring you the joy and peace that you want. Right? For Paul, he says, when I'm down to really nothing, I know that God is going to do something about it. And I found that to be true in many cases of missionary friends that I know, and even for myself. I have a friend, he was the director of a halfway house in Singapore. But after a period of time, he felt that God was calling him to Melbourne. And a halfway house in Melbourne had offered him a job. So he packed up his family, his things, and brought his family to Melbourne. But when he arrived in Melbourne, the deal, the agreed deal, did not go through. The halfway house did not have money to support him. He worked about a few months, got no salary, whatever. At that time, he had brought with him some savings. In Singapore, we live in government houses, which is called a housing development board. And it takes time for him to sell off the house and get the money, required money. So whatever savings he had was dwindling down because the halfway house that he had engaged him was not able to pay him whatever. Did he panic or did he continue to rejoice in the Lord and do whatever he felt that God had called him to? He remained faithful. He knew that God had called him to Melbourne. Right? He remained faithful, continued to serve with the joy and peace that only you can experience from Jesus Christ. Then a friend in Singapore, a lady from his church, praying one day, felt impressed to check with this person, a friend of mine, is there something, when I pray, God seems to be indicating that you need something. My friend shared, the lady flew all the way from Singapore to Melbourne, gave my friend a credit card, and said, you can clock in anything on that credit card. It's on me. My friend says, oh, no, no, I'm not going to take your money. I'll use the credit card. But when my house in Singapore is sold, I'll return you the money. But God knew his needs. Amen? And God saw to his needs. Today, he's a pastor of a flourishing church in Melbourne. What about for me? I struggled with the call of God for five years. I was in management in Singapore Airlines paid a reasonable salary. At the time, the salaries in Singapore was rather low. And during that time when I was in Singapore Airlines, they were a bit stingy, you see. The salaries only went up after I left Singapore Airlines. 
But I struggled with God. I was concerned. I said my children were very young at that stage. Where am I going to get the money to support the family? But the call was so strong, I felt impressed. I said, God, I'm going to trust you. Resigned from, uh, or took early retirement from the airline, went into the church. You know what was my first salary from the church? It was the same salary that I had from Singapore Airlines 15 years earlier. Exact number. God knows, you know. Exact number. So you can imagine the amount of drop in my salary that I had experienced. But 20 over years have passed by. I've never served any needs. God has seen to my needs all the time. How the money came in, sometimes I don't know. I'm principal of the Bible College, and the Bible College basically is dependent on well-wishers or donations from churches and individuals. I can tell you I have lunches with a senior pastor. You buy him a good lunch, are you guaranteed that he'll give the college money? You have no guarantee. But your guarantee is in whom? God. I trusted God. And the college closed in the black every year. Before that, it was always in the red, always screaming for money. Until the Assemblies of God really got cheesed off by the college. But after I went in and I put my faith in God, everything turned around. It went into the black. God can indeed supply all our needs. If we do the right things in the sight of God, we can be assured that He'll bless us. If we do His purpose, concentrate and we are focused on His purpose, we can be assured that God will meet all our needs. We don't have to be worried. We can be contented in every single situation. Friends, if we chase after money, I can tell you can never have joy or peace. Why? Because money is such a factor that if you have some, you want more. And there's no end to the chase. You know there's a guy called Rockefeller? You all heard of him? At one time, the richest man in the world, practically. He was working very, very hard, trying to make money and money and money all the time. And someone just asked him, how much is enough for you? Uh, good question. And he says, just a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> You're chasing after money. But are you sure that money can bring you happiness, joy and peace? When you are rich, you'll probably be worried. Who is going to rob you? Who is going to cheat on you? You are worried all the time. And worse still, you are not going to be able to bring money into the next world with you. But in the church, what can we bring? We can bring relationships. The relationships will never be destroyed. You go to heaven, you say, brother, 
It's such a joy to meet you once again. I saw you and met you in Champion Lakes. Great to see you here. Let's have fellowship up in heaven. Sounds great? You can bring relationships with you. Focus on the purpose of God. Bring others into the kingdom. Then when you go to heaven, God is saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't you like to hear that? Concentrate on the purpose of God. If you are chasing after fame, I can tell you also that fame can never give you peace. It can never give you joy. Famous people, Nobel Prize winners, are they famous? Are they famous? Can you name me the last five Nobel Prize winners for peace? What about for science? What about for literature? You know what? Nobody remembers and nobody cares. Right? They are famous people, but nobody cares. Nobody knows. Nobody is interested. So fame and money can never bring you the happiness in life. What you need to do is to be focused on the purpose of God. And rest assured that once you are focused on God's purpose, God is going to look after you. I have a car in Singapore. It serves me very, very well. Do you think I take good care of it or not? It serves my purpose. I just leave it to rot, get dirty, never pump up the air, the tires, or do I take good care of it? Take good care of it. And if you are serving God's purpose, don't you think that God will take good care of you? What about Elijah? Did he serve God's purpose? Yep. When he was depressed, totally run out, no more energy to go and seek for food. Did God provide for him? Send the birds to bring him food. So let us look after God's chase, after God's purpose. And the next thing about the Philippians, Paul told them, hey, you're the first church that ever supported us, or supported me rather. You're the first church the Philippines were blessed, and they know one thing. The blessings that God gave to us is never to be hoarded. It is to be used to bless others. It's never to be hoarded. I asked myself one day when I was looking at the closet, I said, how many shirts do a person really need? And how many trousers do we really need? How many dresses does a lady need? How many pairs of shoes do we need? You know what happened to Imelda Marcos? You heard of President Marcos' wife, Imelda? You know how many pairs of shoes she had? 3,000 pairs. I said, if, if I wear one per day, how long is it going to last me? The shops keepers, producers of the iMac, iPhone, and all that know how to make your money. Okay? 
You go to a shop. Wow, so beautiful. Buy. Never consider whether you need it or not. Correct? And you begin to hot clothing, you begin to hot all sorts of things. We should live simply and be contented with what God has blessed us with. And use the rest of it to bless others. And in that way, we can have the peace and joy that only can be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you say, yes, I want the joy and peace? I will really align my purpose and live in accordance to God's purpose. If you do, I can tell you, joy and peace is yours. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Hallelujah. Father, we do thank you that indeed you love us so much with that. And you desire for us to be joyful and to be blessed all the time, to have that peace only you can give. And we ask, Father, that you rely on our purpose, Father, of life. That we know, Father, that the purpose of our life is in your hands, it's not in ours. And therefore, help each one of us, Father, to live out that purpose. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, right now you're facing difficulty in life. You say, I'm not really enjoying the peace and the joy of God. I'm having a lot of troubles. Anxiety is gripping me. Pastor, will you just pray for me? If that's your desire, will you just raise your hands or to pray for you right now? Yes, I see several hands being raised. Yes, several hands being raised. Yes. Yes. God bless you. And if you desire to have that joy and peace and say, yes, I want that joy and peace. I'll live in accordance to God's purpose. I'll realign my purpose with God. If that's your desire, will you just raise your hands as well? We want to pray for you right now. Yes, I see several hands going up. Many hands going up. Many hands going up. Others quickly. We don't want to meet you out in the prayer. Hallelujah. Father, I do thank you for the responses to your word. I ask, Father, that you will just minister to every brother and sister, Father, who has responded to you. Oh God, bring them, Father, through the challenges that they're facing right now. And ask, Father, that as we, they realign your purpose, uh, their purpose in life, Father, will be yours. Oh God, that they begin to experience the joy and the peace that only you can give. We do thank you, Lord. We do praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just give a clap for Reverend Lowe. Awesome. It's a great word, timely. Thank you so much for coming out. Joy and peace, something that we're going to hold on to. I'm just going to invite the worship team up.